Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by two co-hosts. Yes, I have two co-hosts on this episode. First up, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? Oh, lovely to speak with you once again, Bill. Always and forever. And uh, because we want this episode of the podcast to be really confusing, we got another Matt, Matt Flipovitz. Matt, what's up? Bill, it was 61 here in Chicago today, and I wore shorts to the grocery store. Wow. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, we're. Uh, I'm getting 60s midweek, so I like the concept of throwing on shorts has just been like gotten me through the last couple of days. I uh, I, I I can't wait for it, and I can't wait for Penn State football either. Uh, spring ball is just around the corner. Penn State fans, and tonight on the podcast, in addition to me saying Matt and just hoping one of them runs with it and the one that I intend to run with it runs with it. Uh, we're going to be talking about spring ball. We have a few reader questions that we're going to be getting to. We have a couple of uh, general spring ball questions that I'm going to present to the mats and we're going to discuss. But before we do that, Monday was a huge day for Penn State football because the Nittany Lions picked up a commitment from four-star quarterback recruit Drew Aller out of Medina, Ohio in the class of 2022. Uh, Composite number 257 player nationally, the number 10 pro-style quarterback, and the number 10 player in the state of Ohio is 24-7 sports. Internal ranking is a bit higher. Uh, 89 nationally, number 6 pro-style quarterback, number 5 prospect out of Ohio. Uh, Matt, I think we know which Matt I'm going for here. Uh, I want to start by just getting kind of the backstory of how Drew Aller came to Penn State because everything... Like, I don't think I heard of this kid until, you know, a month or two ago. And now he's one of the guys who could end up being a linchpin for the 2022 class that has so much hype around it. Well, I think the the primary impetus was the arrival of Mike Yersich. Um The the thing that jumped out to me kind of right off the bat when Yersich arrived and the first couple quarterback offers went out, um, I guess I'll back up real briefly. Obviously, we know there's a quarterback already committed in, in Bo Perbula from Pennsylvania. Um, this was always going to be a two-quarterback class, and it kind of um, became more important to get a second with the transfers out that we've had this offseason with Will Levis and Micah Bowens. Um, all of a sudden, down to just three scholarship quarterbacks in the in the room now, um, and one of those is a true freshman in, in Christian Velu. So. That's the first to point out is this isn't you know an indictment on Prabula by any means. It's more of a, a fact that Penn State need, needed a second quarterback in this class um, just based on on numbers. So th- that being the first thing, the second thing that that really jumped out is how different he is really than just about any quarterback that Penn State's recruited, certainly to the level that they did with Aller. Um, just a totally different style from kind of that true du- true dual threat look. Um, certainly guys that can throw the ball, but guys that have, have that athletic background. Um, you look at Aller and he's just, you know, that kind of classic big, you know, big strong arm quarterback certainly has some athleticism to him, but he's, he's much more a pass first type guy than, um, than what James Franklin and Penn State have traditionally recruited. Um, so he was one of the first couple guys that that Yersich offered after his arrival. I think it came like three three weeks and a day or two. 
on either side um, of that three-week mark after Yurcich officially was hired that Aller got his scholarship offer. And that kind of really set off the the um, a run on, on offers for him. So since his offer from Penn State, which came in late January, um, he got offers from, among others, Kentucky, Michigan, Texas A&M, Washington, uh, South Carolina, Indiana, Illinois, Ole Miss, Georgia Tech, um, and Tennessee actually came right before, um, right at the end of February. But the big one was Notre Dame about three or four days before that. Um, South Bend is a place that he has visited at least a couple times um, unofficially. Um, but it was really pretty apparent just, just based on the the kind of um, the feedback and reading the tea leaves that, that Aller was a guy that I think Gersich really focused in on early Early on, um, you know, Medina's, you know, a four-hour drive or so from State College. It's um, southwest of Cleveland a little bit. Um, so it's, you know, relatively regional. And he fits a lot of what you, you've seen in the quarterbacks that you're just had. He loves to throw the ball downfield, has that big arm. Um, and I think that's just, it adds a different element to the quarterback room that at least from appearances is kind of more what Yersich wants from that position. So, uh, real quick, Yurcich was, uh, of course, the quarterbacks coach in Columbus, uh, not this past season. He was at Texas the year before that. Uh, is the assumption that he got to see our a bit, watch him, learn about his game while he was at Ohio State? Or is uh, this a relatively new courtship by Penn State's new offensive coordinator? This is, is definitely a, a recent development, um, and really the reason why Aller's blown up as much as he has with that run of offers that I just listed is a really impressive junior season. Threw for almost 3,000 yards, 26 touchdowns for Medina um, in a 10-game season, counting uh, the playoffs um, in Ohio. Um, I should mention, too, that he plays in Division One, which is the, the big school division in Ohio, so he's playing um, you know, the, some of the, the traditional powerhouses in Ohio, like St. Ignatius, St. Edwards, uh, mentor, Solon, um, some of those big, well-known programs, especially in the Cleveland area. Um, but he really took a leap between his sophomore and junior year, and it was that junior film that I think really um, solidified his status as one of the top, certainly pro-style quarterbacks in the class. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see what he does um, over the next couple of months as camps begin to, to start taking place again. I believe there's an Elite 11 regional camp in Indianapolis that um, – would make sense for Aller to participate in. Um, so you're going to see more and more eyes on him and more and more of an evaluation to go along with that impressive junior film. So certainly probably had some familiarity with Aller um, from his time in Columbus, but keep in mind that he would have been just a freshman. Um, okay. But I know just, just from the, the conversations that, um, you know, that, that I've read about in the last couple of days that it sounds like, you know, you had some kind of early conversations with, with your such well, he was at Texas, but it really took off. Like I said, in the last you know three weeks when that junior film came out and you saw the leap he took from um, a second year to a third year high school player. Yeah. It, uh, it, my, my uh, pal, uh, Evan uh, Damarell, he is an editor at the Cleveland Cavaliers site, Fear the Sword and host uh, the locked on Cavs podcast uh, from that area and saw me, 
tweeting about our and told me that he's a local legend uh, in their neck of the woods and that this past season beat up a few of of Cleveland Catholic powerhouses and nearly dragged what he said a normally bad Medina program to the state title. So uh, a lot to like about this kid looking at his old rankings on 24-7, his original composite rating uh, as of August 31st, 2020 was 0.8527. Currently, there is a quarterback in this uh, class with a composite rating of 0.8527. He's the number 761 player nationally uh, and the number 37 pro-style quarterback. So quite the rise for Aller. And Matt, I want to bring you in. Uh, I, I, I've watched a little bit of his tape. I am in love with his game. I'm pretty sure that you are the same way. What have you liked in watching our, what has interested you uh, in watching what, like what Matt said tape from a junior year where he really exploded onto the scene. Alan looks like a pro. Like he doesn't look like the kind of guy who's going to come in and run, you know, like a, not that the West Coast offense isn't exactly pro style anymore, but you, you kind of know what I mean. He looks like a very much so like a more traditional pro style quarterback. And that's not to say he's a statue like the kid can definitely move. Like, I definitely think we're going to see more of the Mason Rudolph version of Mike Yurcich offense than like the San Hunger version. But there is a lot to like. He's got a big arm, which is honestly, that's something you just frankly can't teach. Like you can get guys stronger, but his natural throwing talent just just jumps off jumps off the tape uh and then from there he's clearly has a very good understanding of what he wants to do on any given play like he's not athletic enough to be the kind of guy who can go out there and just out athlete anyone he can still do that like don't get me wrong he's still like this fantastic quarterback prospect but he definitely understands how to read a defense better than i think of a lot of other quarterbacks in his position so there's a lot to be excited about and i think assuming mike yersich sticks around for Hopefully the majority, if not all of his college career, I don't know what your head coaching aspirations are, but this seems like it could be a relationship that could really, really benefit both parties and take both your and Aller to levels they probably wouldn't be able to go without each other. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad uh, that you made the Mason Rudolph comp because I, you know, we've I, we have seen all the comparisons floating around uh about hours since he committed, uh, I believe twenty four seven Sports said the something you know it's not verbatim, uh, but something to the extent of the the most logical comparison is someone like Josh Allen uh, of the Buffalo Bills. Although they admit that Allen is a better, uh, I'm more mobile, better runner, that sort of thing than Aller. Like I, I think if you watch him, and I'm trying to make sure I'm choosing my words very carefully because I don't think he is anywhere near this good or not even necessarily this kind of quarterback, but there is the Mahomesian element of his game where you get him off the spot. He's going to move around a little in the pocket and then he's going to let that ball go from whatever arm angle works best for him. He's not necessarily going to have his big over-the-top arm motion if he doesn't have to. There are a lot of clips in his highlight tape, which, you know, obviously the highlight tape is only the good things, where he's dropping his arm down three quarters. He's damn near throwing sidearm in order to get the ball where he wants to get it. And that kind of off-platform throwing, that kind of... um 
ability to make stuff happen with his arm. In addition to everything Matt just said about the fact that when he wants to uncork a deep ball, he can really uncork it. That stuff is really impressive. And to get back to Rudolph for a second, he was coming out of school. I mean, he was coming out of high school. He was 6'4", 210. Hour right now is at 6'5", 220. That same kind of build and frame. And I'm really optimistic about him under a guy like Mike Yurcich. Should Yurcich stick around? You know, obvious caveat has to go there. Because this is the kind of quarterback that Mike Yurcich not only knows how to coach, but has had the most success as a offensive coordinator when he was in Columbus. Justin Fields and Ryan Day were connected to hip. I like. I don't think I'm saying anything controversial that uh, Yursich didn't really need to do all that much there. And then when he was at Texas, Sam Ellinger had been there for 15 years, all of them under Tom Herman. This is an opportunity for it to be like a Mason Rudolph thing, where Mike Yursich goes out, identifies his quarterback, the guy with the skill set that he wants, who could do the things that he wants his quarterback to do, get him in, develop him, and let him see what he turns into. And, you know, Matt, I'll go back to you right now, but I think when we look at the importance of his commitment, I, I he, he's not the recruit that Hackenberg was, obviously. Hackenberg was the number one quarterback in the country. Uh, he was the kind of guy that, beyond what he could was as a prospect what he meant to the program at the time he committed, what was incalculable. Drew Auer is the best quarterback prospect that Penn State has gotten since Hackenberg. Even at number 89 nationally, he has some room to grow as a prospect, especially as other uh, recruiting services catch up and change their view of him. So I ask you, just... Can you go on about the importance of Penn State getting this kind of prospect at this position into its program? Well, I think it's it, the quarterback in any recruiting class is kind of that linchpin. It's kind of the 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 guy that drives the bus that grabs the headlines in, in a lot of cases, especially when the guy is of a a stature, so to speak, of Aller as far as a, a national prominence. Um, and Bill, you and I were kind of chatting online earlier today about um, kind of the, the national buzz that that Allers created at, as far as um, his his ability and kind of where he's he stands nationally compared to, for the most part, all the guys that have come into the program since Franklin's been here. Um, and so I think that that buzz just from a an elite level quarterback, which is by all accounts, what Aller appears to be when you, you look at kind of where he is now and where I think all of us expect him to end up by the time players sign here down the road in the class. I think that's just in a, in a class that already is teeming with elite level talent, especially at the skill position with a guy like Caden Saunders or McKee flowers um, to name just a couple um, that, that, you know, field general. That's what the, you know. Your quarterback's the most position, most important player on the field. It's the most important player in most classes too. And so I think having a guy that has the pedigree and the buzz that he has, and I think will continue to have as the summer, spring, and summer go goes on here into his senior season in the fall. Um, I think is going to elevate the the perspective that you have on this class as it continues to grow, as more commits come into the fold, 
they're still going to have, you know, as good as those guys are, you're going to have that elite quarterback as part of that group that I think you kind of, um, everything falls into place from there to some, to some degree. And then Matt, over to you, kind of the same question. What in your eyes is the importance of getting a guy like Drew Aller, not even for what we think he can turn into necessarily, but just the clout of being able to get such a such a highly regarded quarterback prospect into the program mean? Uh, well, for starters, uh, he's going to be compared to Mason Rudolph, and I look like Mason Rudolph, so I'm excited someone else in the Penn State circle uh, gets to be uh, kind of compared to Mason Rudolph. That's fun. Um, but no, for real, uh, this is the kind of commit you land after going like 11-1. and one. And, and to do this after the absolutely horrible season that we just witnessed shows that Penn State's brand is alive and well. And I think it shows that James Franklin probably knew keeping Kirk Sharaka would not have led to landing this kind of player. So I think it shows a lot of growth, both from Jamie Franklin's perspective and, and what that means, what for the program going forward, but also for just the entire rest of the tone you can set for the 2022 recruiting class. Like Prabula is no joke either. Like the fact that they have both quarterbacks, probably the most important position in this 22 class locked down, good to go means they can put all of their focus on building a class around those two and going from there. So this is the kind of commitment that can really change the direction of your program. Like if you have a quarterback, you have a chance. And I don't know what the depth chart's going to look like in 2022, but Aller's a guy who can easily come in and be actually competitive for that starting job from day one. I, I agree. I, it, I'm glad you mentioned Prabula because I do feel like and, you know, this is uh, in part the fault of idiots like me who are uh, skimming over him in this conversation. Uh, he's not a bad quarterback prospect by any stretch either. I think that uh, an interesting thing, and Matt, if you can maybe comment on this for two seconds before you move on to the next thing, they are different kinds of quarterback. Prabula's a little bit more mobile. Uh, Aller's more the big frame, big body type of dude. But uh, it, it does seem like, both are good prospects. They're just different prospects. And that's probably why it's so interesting that both of them are coming into the same class. Is that right, Matt? Oh, for sure. I think it's, you couldn't pick out two different style quarterbacks, um, you know, with, with some level of gray in there, I guess. But, um, and just to, to clarify too, Prabhul has already said that he's looking forward to, to, you know, being in the class together with, with Aller. He's looking forward to competing with them. So there's, um, no, no signs of any, you know, concern that that one of the the two, or, or in this case, Prabula, who was the first guy in, feels slighted in the least that um, there's another guy coming in at the same position. Is uh, Prabula the kind of guy who's athletic enough that he could like move to a wide receiver or something if quarterback doesn't work out? Because he is someone who I would like to uh, keep in the program. He does seem fantastic. Yeah, I, th- I think you know it's certainly a possibility you know the, his athleticism at this point in his development is certainly his biggest asset okay. um he's a big guy too he's 62 215 he's he gets compared to Trace McSorley a lot but he's um a much bigger kid than than McSorley was certainly at the same point and throughout his career at Penn State but um you, know, you watch his tape you see the athleticism and so that potentially translates to another position but um like we said up front given the state of the quarterback room um, they're going to keep both those guys at quarterback at least for a couple of years. 
um, depending on how the depth chart and everything shakes out going forward. You heard it here first. Matt DeBear says Bo Prabula will move to wide receiver at some point. Uh, moving on before Matt has the potential to respond to that. Uh, spring football beginning in Happy Valley uh, in a week. Um, March 15th is the first day of spring football. And we thought it would be really good to talk about a couple of things surrounding Penn State as it gets into spring. Uh, these couple of practices leading into whatever uh, a spring game looks like, if they have anything like that. Uh, do we know for sure if they are going to have any sort of blue-white game, or are they just going to cancel that this year? I think the the hope is that they'll be able to do okay. something. Um, I know Franklin has you know made it pretty clear that he wants to be able to have some sort of event. Obviously, recruiting is not going to happen um, with the dead period through the end of May. But um, my assumption is, that, you know, you know, knock on wood, fingers crossed, that things keep improving on the the health front. That there'll be some sort of um, scrimmage to some degree what level okay. that is and how many people are there is you know Completed, we'll see how yeah. things evolve over the next few weeks well we'll see how that evolves and we figure that before we get into spring ball we're going to answer a few questions from you guys in a bit but i want to start uh by going over to you matt and asking i have a, I have a pair of questions here that i'd like for the three of us to kind of go on about the first one just as a general big picture thing uh you know as we're gonna sit and wait for reports to come in uh, about how things go what is just the thing that interests you the most about penn state as spring ball begins uh i think number one is the same thing that it feels like it's been for every spring is that they have to install an entirely new offense and i think this spring is going to look so different not only because of like all like the COVID precautions but because I feel like they can finally take their time I I feel like Kirk Scirocco's entire tenure had to be rushed and and that's really I think to his detriment but I think for this 2020 I think taught coaches what really wasn't needed like what can be cut out in a normal season, you know, what stays in. And I think this spring period can be a great time to take out some of the excess stuff you probably don't need and really just focus on what this offense is going to need to be successful. And then when fall camp rolls around, work out all those other kinks. Like this could be such a great learning period for the entire offense. And Thankfully, there's really not that many starting jobs up for grabs. So there's not that much pressure for guys to worry about, am I doing better than the guy next to me? It's just about, let's get this offense down and let's hit the ground running, you know, throughout then summer workouts and then into the fall camp. So this could be a really, really important spring. And, and I honestly think it's the most important spring of James Franklin tenure, whatever, whatever that means. There's no yeah. really important spring. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like there's a bit of a new start in a way, like, Last year is almost, I don't want to say you flush it all together, but the fact that they can actually, they don't you have to worry. You keep Lee and you keep Jahan Dotson, then you flush, and then you flush the rest. Exactly. But now, like, Kayvon Lee just went into last season basically having to figure out the offense on the fly. Jahan Dotson had a rapport with Sean Clifford, but he was still had to learn a brand new one. And like, just as a general thing, and I think this is going to be the thing for everyone on the offensive side of the football. It's that for the first time since 2008, 2019, 
And no, and even then, like the first year under that was the second year under Ricky Ronnie, but that was the first one with the new starting quarterback. So this is the first year since two thousand and God, first year since two thousand and seventeen. Where no, like, good lord, even I'm confusing myself right now. They are going into this with even with just new stuff, but there's a quarterback that can hopefully kind of bridge that gap. I mean, we're going to, we are assuredly going to talk about Sean Clifford a bit, a little bit later in this podcast, but there's like continuity at multiple positions on offense. And we're not going into this season with one gigantic cataclysmic question mark. And the offense that is coming in seems to work for these skill sets of basically everyone involved. So, like, I don't know how you can't be excited for spring, Matt. What's the thing that you are, that interests you the most? And I am going to put you on the spot. So you cannot say broadly the offense. Uh, What is the thing that interests you the most as we head into spring? Well, I think it's kind of the, the thing that's been most reassuring or whatever word you want to use for the last couple of months now is it feels like things are kind of from a Penn state football on the field, in the practice field, in the, the weight room, things are kind of more normal now. I, I'm sure there, you know, you have health screenings and, and all those mitigation things that they have in place, but it feels like for the first time since about a year ago, right before things shut down, which was really right on the eve of spring practice for Penn state, that things have kind of, settled back into a routine. And that's, I think going to the fact that that's carrying over into what spring practice is going to be this year. Um, You know, it's going to be pretty typical as far as they're going to have 15 practices. They're going to, um, you know, work on some of the things you don't have an opportunity to work on during the season. Um, They have, you know, was it seven or eight, I think early enrollees that are, getting their first taste of kind of how, how the program operates in a practice setting. So I think just getting back to that, back to neutral almost in a sense where they're setting up this off season to be by and large, what a typical off season is as far as the timing of how everything happens and, you know, spring workouts in the, and then the, uh, the winter conditioning program and everything that goes along with that. It just feels good to have that sense of normalcy and you know i know things are are you know on a tipping point every day it seems like but it feels like they're they're going to be able to continue forward and push forward and and have that that normal practice that they really were i think and it was alluded to last year they needed that they never had that opportunity to install the offense the right way they never had the opportunity for guys that were ready to take on bigger roles on both sides of the ball to kind of get used to being in those bigger roles before they just kind of got thrown to the wolves when the season started. Um, I think it's just that, that sense of having a, a typical lead up to fall camp in the season. And that starts with a more or less pretty typical spring practice. So my second, Matt, I'm going to go back to you for this. Uh, The second question that I have is the player who needs to have a big spring, and I am going to throw a curveball that is going to make it far more fair for me and Matt as we try to answer this. You are not allowed to say Sean Clifford. So, who is the player on Penn State's team who most needs to have a big spring? 
Oh man, I actually wasn't even gonna. Say oh, I, I was gonna. Richard. I was gonna put the other Matt on Spock. So when I'm going to be unfair to someone, I'm going oh, to be unfair shoot. to him and then be nice to you. But yeah, go ahead. Okay, no, 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 no Matt, Matt, bad Matt. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm really on this box. I was gonna take a breath here. Um, oh, that's that's a lengthy list. Um, you just just you pick know, one. Got to pick one. I got to pick one here. Um, I'm going to say. Brandon Smith. Um, I think there's a number of guys on on the on defense that I think are certainly big candidates, but we've seen the flashes from Smith over his his two years in the program. Now um, he kind of he was one of those guys I was alluding to that I think wasn't ready to take on that that much expanded role over this past season, and I was to his detriment didn't have that opportunity through spring and summer to really grow into that role. Now that I think he's has that experience under his belt last year, certainly on the field, and now the opportunity to kind of work through things in a, ter- in a typical manner, um, we've seen the ability, and I think we've seen the flashes of of what he can do from a a playmaker at that linebacker standpoint. I don't want to compare him to Micah Parsons, but I think he can bring that sort of element to the position where he can you know affect the game in, in a lot of ways um, that you don't necessarily see every day from from that position. Um, it'll be interesting to see, especially with the depth chart at linebacker. There, you know, it's not not the most uh, talent-laden position beyond the the first four or five guys. Um, so I'm not sure how much run he'll get, but I think this is an important spring and, and general offseason for him to kind of um, grow into that that five-star player that he was at high school. Uh, Matt, over to you. I'm going to stick on the defense side of the ball as well. And I'm going to go with Tariq Castro Fields, a guy who this time last year, we did not expect would even still be here. Uh, TCF has all of the potential in the world. He's been hurt so often has had such bad injury luck, but it's time to deliver. There are a lot of talented corners in that room, especially when you factor in Johnny Dixon from South Carolina transferring in. I think Keaton Ellis is a guy who could really, benefit from a good spring last year was weird for him I really don't know what was going on why he played special teams and then not on defense some games that whole thing was really weird but TCF is gonna have some dudes breathing down his neck because it's not like it's been for a lot of his career where really both corner spots are up for grabs like Joey Porter Jr. is a star like that that dude is never coming off the field so if TCF wants to hang on to that starting job and really show NFL scouts that he's a guy that they can trust to draft it has to start with a strong spring. So I'm really curious to see what that looks like. I think that's going to be one of the most competitive rooms throughout the spring and then all season. Like I could easily see multiple, as many as even four or five guys getting starts there at one point or another. Like that, that's, that's going to be such a fascinating battle. And it's really Tariq Castro-Fields' job to lose, but he has to deliver here. And, and I really hope he's healthy and is able to give it his best shot because if he is what we think he is, Penn State's going to have a fantastic secondary, which is something we haven't been able to say for a long time. Yeah, they'll figure out that second safety spot. But, uh, you know, at least I think they have some options there. Uh, I was going to say Smith, but I'm going to change my answer because uh, I think Matt hit on a lot of the points I was going to make with Smith, which is basically that they just need someone who could be that eraser type of linebacker. Um 
I'm going to actually change and go with the guy who uh, had a pretty weird year last year and I think is going to need to take a gigantic step forward. And that's Adisa Isaac. Uh, last season, a thing that I actually didn't realize, in 2019, he played in six games, had 14 tackles, three for loss, and one and a half sacks. Uh Last year, played in eight games, but had 13 tackles, one and a half for loss, and one and a half sacks. So he actually played two more games and had fewer tackles and tackles for loss. And with Jason Oe gone, we're not going to sit here and do uh, the Jason Oe discourse, or and Shakatoni gone, Penn State needs someone who can get to the quarterback off of the edge. I mean, Penn State... I. How many times have I said on the pod over the last couple of years, I don't think the secondary, I don't think the secondary is as bad as it seems. I think the biggest issue is they just cannot get to quarterbacks. And a guy like Adisa Isaac is going to be huge, has to be huge for Penn State if Penn State is going to end up uh, being able to get a consistent pass rush. I'm not as wor- I'm a little bit worried about the depth at defensive tackle, even if I think PJ Mustafer uh, and then probably uh, Derek Tangelo are a good uh, good duo there. Tangelo Han- uh, Hansard, at least whomever um, that ends up being. And then uh, Ebiketti, uh the Temple transfer, is a really talented player, a guy who's been productive, even though he is taking uh, that step up in competition. Uh, Where it gets interesting for me, though, is I think they lack that guy who, you know, there's going to be a third down and eight. Ohio State is down, uh, you know, Ohio State's down 35-28, third and eight, ball at midfield. They need to convert and someone has to get into the backfield, Penn State doesn't have that guy, and I think Isaac's the one who has the best opportunity to do that. And if he can have a big spring and take that step forward and be the kind of consistent, productive pass rusher that you expect out of a guy who's a top 100 crew, top one hundred recruit, the number four weak side defensive end in his class, uh, someone who 24-7 compared to Chandler Jones of the Arizona Cardinals, I think that's going to be gigantic uh, for Penn State. And I'm glad we all said someone on defense, actually, because I feel like it's really easy to get caught up in the fact that there is a new offensive coordinator coming in. Uh, and if either of you guys want to opine on this, by all means, go for it. I think it's easy to get caught up in the fact that there, there is an offensive coordinator coming in. But at the same time, like I look up and down the offense. They have to replace a couple of offensive linemen. You know, they have... They, technically have to replace Pat Fryermuth, but you know, they got a head start on that last year. I'm not too terribly concerned about the offense. I'm concerned insofar as it's the third offense in three years and the first game next season, they have to go uh, to Wisconsin. But what do you guys think? I think they have the guys on offense who are going to be able to, um, Make the growing pains that come from that not nearly as uh, not nearly as pronounced. Well, I think the offense, you know, certainly has its questions, and and you know, no bigger than Sean Clifford at quarterback. But like you said, Bill, I think the the improvement on that side of the ball, I think, is expected to come from a scheme that fits. I think what the program wants to be on that side of the ball as a whole, I think you, you expect to 
increase those explosive plays through Mike Yersich running things and his philosophy on how, how offensive football should be played rather than solely on Sean Clifford and taking a step forward or Keandre Lambert Smith taking a big step forward. Certainly those guys doing that are, is, is important, but I think a lot of that can happen by playing in a system that is more suited to what Penn state wants to do as a program. All right, let's, let's take a deep breath. Let's compose ourselves and let's get into the reader questions And I say let's take a deep breath and compose ourselves because the first two reader questions that we have are about Sean Clifford. Uh, Matt, we'll head over to you to start this one. Uh, From Patty, how concerned should we be about the exodus of QBs this offseason, especially if Clifford struggles again early on? And then from DNG, it seems like Clifford is still the guy. Is this really what we are doing? Um, It it depends on what you mean by concern like are you concerned that players are transferring like uh, will levis was always going to leave unless he was guaranteed the starting job i i I think the i think the concern is if sean clifford let's say last year plays out again in the first three games four games of the season clifford has a really bad case of the turnovers and penn state starts the year um starts the year oh and four you know, yeah, he got pulled halftime of the Nebraska game. What there's the backup plan suddenly disappears, te- you know, theoretically speaking. And how concerned should we be if Clifford has that kind of cataclysmic stretch that the best answer is probably going to be just roll with it, unless you are someone who really likes Daquan Roberson. I think I think really concerned, honestly. Like we we haven't seen Roberson throw a pass, and Christian Veyu, I like him. He is no disrespect. He made a lot of his so-called money dominating kids in Canada, and then came down to Maryland in a good league, but then missed his senior year. Like he hasn't played all that much football against high level competition. And and I get that's the third string guy, but you have to prepare for any scenario. So I I'm I'm pretty concerned. I I think Roberson's a talented guy, but I don't know that. Uh, we haven't really seen him do much else than hand the ball off. Like this could get ugly. I don't think it will. I think Yersich knows how to coach guys. Like I, I think that he is going to find a way to make sure Sean Clifford can at least hold down that starting job all the way through. But if injuries pile up, things could get really ugly, really, really quick. And that's where you're pretty thankful you have, you know, four or five running backs who could easily just hand them the ball and then only throw it like seven times a game and, and just become de facto Wisconsin. And then Matt, I'm going to kind of take this question and these questions and kind of spin it for you. Um, Let's talk Penn State's decision to not go out to the transfer market and get someone. You know, after uh, Will Levis transferred, I you know I think I understood and largely agreed with them not going out to the transfer market after Will Levis transferred. I think that probably should have changed their uh, thinking, but. This is more towards the second question, which is: It seems like Clifford is still the guy. Is this really what we are doing? Do you think Penn State? Now that we're looking at things, 
you know, might regret a little bit that they didn't decide to go out and get some kind of contingency plan. So if anything happens uh, to Sean Clifford, they're not turning to Daquan Roberson, a guy who has thrown all of one pass in his collegiate career. Well, I the first thing I'll say to that is the season hasn't started yet. Spring practice hasn't even started yet. There's nothing saying that they the right the right quarterback if the transfer portal tomorrow, and Penn State's incredibly interested and he ends up ends up at Penn State. Um, the guys that have become available um, were guys that I think were largely, with the exception maybe of Tyler Show from Oregon, who ended up at Texas Tech, were guys that wanted to go somewhere where they knew they were going to be the starter. And I don't think anyone has come available at this point where you can none, – none of the guys that have come out to this point that that's what they were looking for to be be the guy wherever they went were so far and away better than Sean Clifford that you were going to make that move. That is – that's a huge risk to take to bring in a guy and, and essentially guaranteeing the job, which is basically what some of those guys that have made moves this offseason were looking for. Um, they have one year of eligibility left or, or something along those lines. It'll be very interesting to me to see, one, who becomes available in the next couple months as spring practice wraps up around around the country and depth charts kind of fall into place and guys realize that they're they're buried behind you know whoever at their pro their current program. Does Penn State make a move then? Because like, I think that the dynamics of the position now are such where for the right player, they would be open to taking a transfer that maybe has multiple years of eligibility left that makes them feel more comfortable about what they have behind Sean Clifford. Um, our, our buddy Sean Fitz said something earlier this winter that basically was trying to explain Penn State's thought process with the transfer portal. And he put it this way. If Sean Clifford had come out and, and, and entered his name in the transfer portal in mid-January, say he probably would have been the biggest name um, to, to do that. You know, he certainly had his struggles this year, but um, given the quality of guys that had that transferred this offseason, I'm not sure there's anyone, any of them, like I said, that are demonstrably better, demonstrably better than Sean Clifford. Um, the other thing I'll say is there aren't very many programs in the country that can lose a now two-year starter like Penn State has in Sean Clifford and don't take a big step back at quarterback. Um, and we really saw it at Penn State last year with Clifford's struggle when he did get benched for Will Levis. Um, they weren't exactly sitting on a guy on on Peyton Manning back there. We'll say, um, you know, Levis had his his strong attributes, but um, it wasn't like they were, you know, they lost, if, if we were to lose Sean Clifford and Will Levis was still here, that oh, we feel totally comfortable. Other than the fact that he's been here for a while. Um, that that's a, a concern regardless in this day and age with the the ability to make that transfer so easily, especially at quarterback that for the most part you're going to have a guy backing up that is young, untested, unproven, or some combination of all three of those. Um you know, Penn State having Tommy Stevens a couple of years ago as the number two guy was a luxury that just a lot of places don't have very often. Moving on to the next question, and I'm going to take this one first. Uh, question from Walter White. I don't think it is that Walter White. We will let you know after we do some extensive research. Which new arrival, freshman or transfer, will have the biggest impact 
this upcoming season. Uh, I like this question because I do think that it's plausible that the answer is a freshman due to uh, just kind of the nature of how weird this season is going to be. There are seven uh, members of this class who are early enrollees, and I think we can uh, identify a few who we think have an opportunity to get onto the field. But to me, the answer is Derek Tangelo, uh, formerly of Duke transfer, came in uh, listed uh, at Six foot two, two hundred and ninety pounds. He was a three-star recruit when he went down to Durham from the Bullis School in Maryland, and had a really productive career at Duke. Uh, last season, thirty-eight tackles, four tackles for loss, two sacks, three forced fumbles, one fumble recovery out of that defensive tackle position. Uh, for his career, one hundred and thirteen total tackles and. 37 career games, 12 and a half tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. Uh, I think Penn State has a big old hole at defensive tackle next to PJ Mustafer. Uh, you know, there are a few guys who I think could fill it. Fred Hansard's going to have a shot to win it. I think Devon Ellie's going to have a shot to win it. Uh, I'm rooting for uh, Aeneas Hawkins because his recruit commit video was quite good. And Hakeem Beeman's a guy who got a little bit of run last year, but. If they want to go with a guy who has been productive at the Power 5 level, and I think that's something huge because a lot of the times when we're talking about grad transfers, the ones who end up doing the best are the ones who went from Power 5 school to Power 5 school and did something consistently at their Power 5 school. And this dude was a three-year starter, uh, or I don't know if it was a starter, but a three-year player at Duke. He's going to have opportunities along the defensive line to get some snaps and make something happen up front, especially next to a guy like P.J. Mustafer, who we know is going to be able to bring it and be a productive defensive tackle for the Nittany Lions. Uh, I, I will free up either Matt. Uh, let's go with Chicago, Matt, because it's been a second since we've heard him. Who is uh, your pick for this one? Which new arrival will have the biggest impact? I do agree that it could probably be a freshman. I think having such a big um, early and early class, especially with a guy like Rodney McGraw, um, could be pretty good. But I'm going to go with somebody in that position room, uh, and that's Arnold Abichetti. He's a dude who absolutely ate and had insane numbers in a shortened season for Temple last year. And I think Penn State is so thin at defensive end that he's the starter right now. I think no questions asked. I think that's why he came in. I think that's why they wanted him so badly. And I think he's a guy who, if if he puts together a strong spring, Brent Pry and John Scott Jr. can figure out exactly what they have with him. And he's kind of thin enough. I don't know if he's ever done it, but if they want to get funky with some fun blitz packages with these linebackers and drop Abiketti back in coverage, they could easily do that, I'm willing to bet. So he's a guy who I think maybe doesn't have all that much to gain from the spring because I think he's the day one starter, but I think the team as a whole can gain a lot from seeing what he can do. So uh, Penn state's defensive line has to step up their play. I think they have some great depth pieces on the interior. And I think if Epichetti takes a, is, is what we think he is, what we think he is. I think that's really going to allow these younger guys to develop and maybe start working in there and taking some pressure off later in the season. But Probably for the first half, it's it's Ebiketti and Adisa Isaac. All systems go. Uh, and then, Matt, over to you. Same question. Yeah, I, th- I think the two defensive linemen transfers are the, are the, the surest thing to have that immediate impact. Um, I'm going to stay on defense, though, and stick with the freshman. And this could I could 
we could have this discussion in you know seven months and the season's halfway over and he's played a, you know only a handful of snaps but um the freshman linebacker Kobe King I think is a college ready kind of player um he's not the biggest or fastest guy but he's not going to get bigger or faster I think he kind of is what he is physically for the most part at this point but I think when you look at Penn State's linebacker depth chart especially on the inside where they have really struggled to find a consistent answer there especially last season and there isn't an obvious answer um you know looking at where things stand at this moment with a guy like Jesse Lukita or Ellis Brooks um I think there's an opportunity there for a guy like Kobe King to come in and really kind of help stabilize a position that doesn't have a whole lot of depth and I think that's going to help him see the field more is because of just the limited options there um just real quick on the other side of the ball, I think kind of a wild card um, would be Lonnie White Jr. Um, obviously, the the first question is is does he should get get on campus before someone in with Major League Baseball throws millions of dollars his way with a signing bonus? Um, but if he does, he is the first kind of obvious big play elite downfield wide receiver that checks all the boxes with speed, athleticism, and size that you probably really sense since Chris Godwin that can do all those things, um, you know, as great as, as um, the guys they have right now, they don't have that downfield big play threat consistently with a guy that can out, you know, can win that 50, 50 ball consistently. And I think white is potentially that. And if, if they get him on campus, I think he has the potential because of so many question marks after the three stars at wide receiver to really um, potentially find a, a role early on, especially with the way that your wants to go downfield uh, from our pal, Richard Viper. What's the most violent vaccine administration method you would take to get back into a Beaver stadium tailgate lot. And the answer is I would drive to Binghamton, New York, because if you were listening on Tuesday, I am doing that today. Uh, Matt, either of you have an answer for this. I, I will wait patiently until it's my turn in Michigan. Um, <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been trying to think of a joke answer to this since I saw the question come up, and I've got nothing. This is um, I, I'm, I'm failing miserably with, with I think, the, the hope that, that our good pal Richard Viper had by asking, this, asking the question. I'd sit in the lake for like six hours. If you told me the only way you get the vaccine is if you sit in this lake for six hours, I'd do it. Oh yeah, if not for the fact that again I'm going to get it on Tuesday, like I'd I I I I'd jump into a volcano to get this, but neither here nor there. Uh question uh from the legendary account Real Pen Live and uh Matt, I'll just ask you this because uh I know it's something that has been addressed. Uh I will ask you the former, which is uh how much will the offense go under center this year, and not the second part of this, which is why isn't that enough, but uh, James Franklin and Mike Yurcich have signaled that Penn State is going to go under center a bit this year. Correct? Yeah, I think it's you know kind of to be determined how much that happens, but um, it is more it is a an option. It is a a look that uh, Yurcich has shown from time to time at, at each of his stops, and I think um, Ohio State has probably done it the most of anywhere he's been. But the question is how much of that was him and how much of that is is Ryan Day's influence, but both, both the, uh, the key guys involved have said that um, you will likely see some under center snaps this year. 
Uh, the next question, again, from our pal uh, Walter White. How much did luck factor into last season's woes? For as bad as things were, it doesn't seem like Penn State caught many breaks. Has Bill C., uh, our friend Bill Conway over at ESPN, or anyone else published any quote-unquote luck stats to back this up? Thanks, I'll hang up and listen. And I, I like to think that the three of us know uh, football a little bit, but uh, none of us know things as well as Bill. Uh, so I DM'd him, and I sent this tweet over to him. And he said that no, he hasn't published anything, but he has, quote, noted that the Indiana game was one of the least likely results of the year per postgame win expectancy, at ne- and that Nebraska was pretty far up there, too. But on the other side of things, uh. The Michigan State win was also rather unlikely per postgame win expectancy, though the yardage was at least sensible in this one, uh, which is basically to say that uh, when it comes to the four factors that go into uh, SP+, uh, average starting position, finishing drives, uh, explosiveness and efficiency, Penn State should have won the games against Indiana and Nebraska, but they did get a bit lucky against Michigan State. Um, is there anything that either of you guys would like to add to this? Because I like I, I that that seems about right. Like in a col- over the course of college football season, you're going to get lucky sometimes. You're going to get unlucky some others, and it just cost Penn State uh, a couple of wins in the games where they got really unlucky. Well, that's an awkward silence. So I'll I'll jump in real quick. I think you know the, the turnovers were such a huge factor early on in the season, and there is a level of luck uh, when it comes to turnovers, um, more, more so fumbles than interceptions. Um, but I think the unlucky part was I think just the hand that Penn State got dealt really from you know a year ago now with the the timing of the the COVID related shutdowns and the canceling of spring practice and kind of the the limited limited time with coaches when you had a a new offensive coordinator come in, you had a new defensive line coach. Um, It was just a lot of unfortunate off field things. I think that, that impacted Penn state, Um, you know, certainly on the field. And we saw, you know, the, the result of that early on in the season and then even getting to the recruiting side of things. I don't think, I think you can make it a very easy case that Penn state was, was as unlucky with the timing of of the the public health stuff um as much as any team in the country yeah i think i agree with that matt anything we'd like to add uh all of 2020 was unlucky and bad um but i did recently uh stumble upon a picture of me and my roommate during the pennsy indiana game where we're both absolutely draped over a couch in disgust after the loss so that's funny so uh, i i nah. think i've uh mentioned this on the pod a few times the uh I got my dog as the fourth quarter ended of the Penn State uh, Indiana game. The dog, like, they came to my house, and my first, like, no, can a person who brought the dog to me brought it, uh, called and said, hey, I'm outside, like, as the fourth quarter was ending. So I think I walked back downstairs with this beautiful uh, new puppy, uh, all ready to meet him as the... Uh, as the Michael Penix play a little, you know, 
a couple plays later that happened. So uh, it was a really good start. Uh, It's uh, no surprise that the dog is a silly weirdo, but neither here nor there. Uh, Last question uh, from Bryant Covelli, who, uh, if memory serves, wanted me to make a joke. Uh, I forget what it is. Bryant, I apologize for that. Uh, Hi, gents. Uh, Number one. What does the running back rotation look like right now? And number two, what does the cornerback rotation look like? Lots of bodies for both. Zero idea what's going on. Uh, Matt, I'll start with you. Uh, This is Chicago, Matt. I would like to start with on this one. Uh, How do you think those two play out? What do you think? Do you think there is a defined rotation in either of these things? Or do you think it's more you know, we're going to roll with it. We're going to go with the hot hand. We're going to do that sort of thing. I think it's a little, a little bit of both, but just for the sake of answering this question, because I did think about this a good bit today. If I had to bet on running back right now, I would absolutely love to say Noah Kane's the starter. He's had such bad luck, but unfortunately, you know, this is college football and guys do get hurt and they don't always get their job back. So if, if I were to say right now, I'd probably say Kayvon Lee's number one. Kane's two, uh, Devin Ford's three. I'd probably go with John Lovett as like three B, and then Kazea Holmes is four. I think that's probably fair. And I do think that whoever it is between Ford, Kane, and Lovett for that second, third guy probably has at least like 30 more carries than the actual third guy, like whoever wins that battle for the backup. Um, and then for corners, I think it's Joey Porter Jr. is your top guy. Uh, TCF, I'm going to go with Johnny Dixon as the third guy because I think he's that talented. And, and I think the corners currently on Penn State's roster had some pretty bad years. So I think Dixon can go in there and win. And then it's probably um, a toss-up all the way around then between Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson, and Daquan Hardy. Um, but I, again, like you said, I do think it's going to be more of a whoever's playing well gets to go. But if I had to kind of pin it down to a rotation. That's probably the order I'd put both those positions in. Uh, Matt, over to you. And to kind of add to this question, like, is there a guy at each position who you feel like has the potential to really upend whatever the rotation looks like? Yeah, I think, um, on, at running back, I would go John Lovett. Um, you know, he was he was the guy that Penn State actually was going hard after as a recruit um, several years ago, and actually the class where they got Journey Brown. So, um, if you want to think of it this way, John Lovett ending up at Baylor out of high school might have opened the door for the Journey Brown uh, commitment all those years ago, um, and things obviously come in kind of full circle now at this point. Um, I think he showed a lot when he was at Baylor, and I think it's a um, he's kind of the wild card there where we certain you know, he he does some things that I don't think Penn state really has anyone on the roster that, that they can do. I think he's kind of more of a, a, the most well-rounded of the three or, or how many we have. No, I can't even keep, keep it straight, but I would say we probably have, um, you know, Lee is probably the number one guy going into the spring. Um, I don't expect we're going to see much if any of Noah Kane this spring as he rehabs from his injury from the Indiana game last year. Um, so I think that really opens the door for a guy like Lovett or Devin Ford and then Keziah Holmes to really take advantage of those additional reps they're going to have. And I think all four of those guys are going to get a lot of work this spring because 
because of the depth there, I think you can be a little bit more aggressive with getting guys work. And also, too, um, you know, the guy, you know, Kevon Lee, the guy end of the year as the number one last year, is a, a you know a, a true freshman. You know, technically speaking, with the eligibility rules, um, you know, he needs reps. He needs more of an opportunity to kind of to to grow into that position and, and everything that goes along with it. Um, in addition to just you know, grabbing the ball and running with it. Um, and I think the transfer on the defensive side of the ball too, with John Dixon is, is certainly a guy that can, is the wild card there. Um, I agree with the way Matt laid out the, the depth chart. Um, I think that the top three guys are pretty set in, I shouldn't say set in stone. I think are pretty, pretty clear cut at this point. Um, but I think both Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson as going into the spring as the fourth or fifth guys, depending on which order you put those two in, I think both have a huge opportunity to really take advantage of, um, again, they're going to get a lot of reps this spring. Um, and I think both of those guys have shown flashes over their first two years with the program that they have the opportunity and the ability to, I think, kind of, um, you know, certainly fight for reps. And uh, if we've learned anything in the last two years, um, you're going to need five or six guys at cornerback just with the way injuries have seemed to pile up there um, over the last couple of years. Um, you, you need depth there. I mean, there's, and there's a couple of freshmen too um, that we haven't really seen a lot of that I'll be interested to get some reports on guys like Jeffrey Davis. Um, oh, there's another guy that whose name is, is Kaylin King. Uh, escaping me. Yeah. A lot, you know, King's a newcomer and Jeffrey Davis arrived. Um, I, I'm not thinking of the right guy, but it, anyway, there, there, there you go. Thank you. Um, I think you've got some guys there that, um, you know, didn't have really any off season last year that are really going through their first go around with it. Now that, um, have the advantage of having been in the program for a year when they get to this point, um, that are going to, again, get a lot of reps. And I think, um, I'm curious to see what they do. I'm not sure they're the kind of guy that's going to upend things. Um, but guys that to keep an eye on, I think going forward, because you could see them getting, taking on a bigger role as the season progresses with injuries and things like that. Yeah, I, I I think that's it. Like, I don't know if there's uh, anything else to add, Matt or Matt. Anything uh, anything you'd like to toss into into this spot before I do the sign off thing? I think Matt just ate um, his microphone. I accidentally bumped it, which is very funny. Um, anything to add? Nah, not much. Um, really hopeful that they can at least have like the players' families uh, in there for the blue white game. I feel terrible that. They kind of have to watch the entire entirety of last season from home. So if fans are allowed, uh, it should be absolutely to, to those families first and foremost. So fingers crossed they get that. That'd be fun. And that'd be cool to kind of at least try to make up for some lost time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and hopefully that's all able to work out. We'll uh, know sometime soon. Uh, and... You know, before we get to that point, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Make sure you're heading over to wherever you get your podcast uh, and subscribe to us. If you're heading to Apple Podcasts for this, also go over leave a five star uh, review. Make sure you keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to buy some shirts, some hoodies, anything else you might want to buy, uh, and uh, make sure you follow us all over various social media channels: Facebook, Twitter, all those sorts of things. We're there. We're we're doing stuff. Uh, have 
having a good time. And uh, now that Penn State football is going to be back and we don't have to uh, follow along too closely with the remainder of this Penn State basketball season uh, until they get a new head coach in there, uh, you know, good good things are on the horizon. Uh, one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Matt DeBear, for Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. If Penn State Hoops wins the Big Ten tournament, I will do the NBA scouting combine.